The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. All right, it's, it's humbling to be here with you this morning. And uh, uh, so many friends that we have that we have formed since we've come to uh, uh, Norris Ferry through the community groups and some of the, some of the spiritual giants in my life are here. And uh, I just love the, the worship experience we have on Sunday morning here. I just uh, our way our worship team does, and I'm, I'm thankful for a, a pastoral team that teaches God's Word expositionally and without apology. And uh, most of the time, that's how we teach God's Word here. We start off and we take, take it verse by verse. It, uh, it takes away the uh, role of having uh, take something out of context or the, the risk of taking something out of context or dodging difficult topics. But this summer with Tracy on sabbatical, he, he more or less said, look, we're going to make some assignments of some topics. And so this morning we'll be moving around Scripture. We're going to focus around three Scriptures, but we're going to be moving around Scripture as we talk about the peace of God. In the morning, if you're taking notes, the sermon's going to be divided into three sections. Number one, establishing the fact that God is a God of peace. Number two, establishing uh, the importance of having peace with God. And then the third thing, the, the benefit of having the peace of God. So, the, so getting started, if we look at Romans fifteen thirty three, a very simple passage. But in this passage, it says, Now the God of peace... Now, the God of peace uh, is with you all. Amen. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. The reason I use that verse is it's very simple, and it establishes the fact that one of the attributes of God is that he is a God of peace. And he's as much a God of peace as he is any other attribute. He has no incomplete attributes. If you look at my skill set, I know a little bit about numbers. That's not my strength. I know a lot about a couple of other things, but I have certain, certain skills and certain attributes that I'm not complete in. But our Heavenly Father is complete in all of His attributes, and that includes the God, the God of peace. We're going to look at several definitions of peace this morning, but it's going to center around the Greek translation because it comes out of the New Testament, which is very similar to the Hebrew translation that comes out of the Old Testament. But it means to set at one again, binding or joining together what is broken and divided. If there's no division, there's no need for peace. But what God does through peace is he binds, those, binds things together that are broken and divided. From a practical standpoint also, we're peace means we're experiencing God's presence even in the most challenging of times. Now, what peace is not? It is not the absence of conflict or challenges. But during those times, feeling God's presence. As believers, we are reconciled, we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we get to know God as a God of peace. But in order to get to know God as a God of peace, we first have to know uh, we have to have, be at peace with God. If we look at Romans 5.1, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the peace with God. If we take a look at several places uh, through Scripture, Paul in his writings, oftentimes to the church, like in the church at Philippi and the church at Colossae, he talked about grace and peace be with you. To the saints of those churches, 
that was written to believers. And grace precedes peace. We have to experience God's grace to be able to experience his peace. And we, the, the pursuit of peace in today's world has been very challenging at least. Sometimes on the home front. Some of y'all are in the thick of it with kids at home. I remember what it was like having uh, three daughters at the house. They were all teenagers at one time. That will improve your prayer life. And, uh, you know, there were times when we longed for peace. Certainly on an international level, we long for peace. There is the greater risk now than there ever has been. And the greater threats with terrorism and war, nations at conflict. Man's pursuit of peace has resulted in this. If we accept the fact that the earth is about 4,000 years old, and we can give or take a few years on that, depending on how you look at it, in less than 400 years has there been a time of total world peace. Because it is man seeking peace, man's way. And then we look at what's going on in our own backyards. You know, on July 4th weekend, the city in our country that has the toughest gun laws had over 100 shootings over July 4th weekend. We look at what's happening in our own backyard in Shreveport, Louisiana, where hardly a night goes by that we don't hear about the impact of some type of violent crime or increase uh, or some type of crime against people. Waverly and I had the uh, privilege of knowing an economic development person who came to Shreveport back in the mid-90s. And when he came to Shreveport, and he was rather agnostic in his faith, but he said he's come to accept the fact that uh, the um, he's come to accept the fact that the the crime problem we have in our society today is a problem. It's a spiritual problem because it's not because nothing else. We can't throw any more money at it. We can't throw any more resources on an international level. We can't have a stronger military presence until we seek the God of peace. The efforts of peace are futile. And, and it starts off with making sure that we have peace with God. Now, how do we have peace with God? We, we're in a personal relationship with him. Isaiah 48, 22 says this. There is no peace for the wicked. That would be us before we entered into a relationship with our heavenly father. Romans 3 reminds us, and I've always thought that if you have an ego problem, you need to worry about the first 15 chapters of Romans 3. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. No one seeks God, not even one. We don't have that ability until we get called into a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. We don't have that ability. And so what happens is, based on on our own unrighteousness, we are in conflict with God. And that... And then we move into that relationship and we escape the wrath of God that's talked about in Romans 18, 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heavens against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Secular, the secular Greek definition of peace meant the absence of war. Remember what I said just before, uh, just before we are, before we are covered with God's grace, with his righteousness, by faith through Jesus Christ. We are not at odds with God. We are at war with God. He can't stand the fact of our unrighteousness. Last week, David talked about a holy God. And sometimes people think, well, gee, how can a, uh, you know, how can a, a God of love 
take such a hard stance and talk about God's wrath. Well, until we understand his holiness, we can't understand his love. His love is so deep that that which he cannot stand, he made provisions for. And until we enter into that relationship because of the love that she showed for us on Calvary, until we're at peace with God, we will never experience the peace of God. In Romans 4, Paul writes of how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But it was God's righteousness that was credited to him, not Abraham's. This is an act known as justification. Now, that's just a theological word that says that we become, we become, when we become justified, we are made righteous with God. And that happens at the point in time that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a once and for all experience. We don't have to keep doing it. And at that point in time, we get a chance to have peace with God. And the fundamental of that peace with God is knowing that justification is done once and for all. If we take a look over at Romans 8, and just take a look at a couple passages there. In Romans 8, 37 through 39. I got a new Bible yesterday, and those pages just never seem to cooperate with you, at least the ones I'm trying to get to. All right, in Romans 8, 37 through 39. But all these things we're, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Having peace with God means knowing that once we become justified, once we move into that personal relationship with him, that is a once and for all deal. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when we're at peace with God, then we have the opportunity to experience the peace of God. Turn over back to Philippians. That's the the, the passage that we started off with over in Philippians 4. And we take a look at verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Beyond all comprehension. You know what that tells me? God's saying, don't try to figure it out. You can't figure it out. It's beyond our ability to think. When Christ was preparing the disciples for life, what life was going to be like after he was crucified and after he ascended to heaven, He talked about giving them a comforter, but then he talked about peace I give you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. It's different from anything else. It surpasses all comprehension. It's different than the world. And and, and it's only a peace that's only available through God because of our relationship with Christ. You know, we have a hard time believing this in today's world, but it's not anything that we can buy. You know, Judas got 30 pieces of silver for denying, for denying or for uh, betraying Jesus Christ. And that didn't bring him peace. It led him to almost instant suicide when it was all said and done. You can't earn it. There's no standard that says that you can earn peace with God. You can't read about it. You can't get it at a self-help seminar. Okay, you can't get it instantaneously. It's not like an Amazon feature that you can go in and get and have it delivered to you on Monday or Tuesday. It's only available, peace of God is only available when you have peace with God. And how do we access this peace? 
Well, in the verse in Philippians that we looked at, verse 7, back up and look at verse 6 just for a second. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So it says, Be anxious for nothing. When I was in college, I read this, and I remember thinking, But yeah, that's Paul. You know, he's a spiritual giant. And then as I studied more and more, He's in jail writing that. And I'm sure it was not an ACLU-approved jail, all right? And he was chained. He was in chains for Christ, is what he said in Philippians 1. Chained to two Roman soldiers all the time. And yet he's able to say, be anxious for nothing. Then it also talks about, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So we're supposed to have thankful hearts, and we're supposed to bring God everything. I've, I, I, in another part of my life, I had the privilege of coaching about 12 years of competitive girls basketball. And we would say prayers before a game, and I had a ch- parent challenge me one time. He says, do you think God really cares about a basketball game? Well, you know what? He cares about basketball players. And, and, and so, you know, people think, well, my problems are so small next to the problems of the world. Well, if that's how we look at things, I'm going to challenge you and say that your God is too small because he is limitless in his abilities. And that's why he says, bring everything to him. And I got, you know, just a little bit of counsel. Prayer time is not just in the morning and it's not just at night. It should be a constant source of communication all through the day so that every situation we encounter, every decision that's got to be made, we ought to instantaneously be going to to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And so it says this in verse 6, make your request made known to God. And then what does it say subsequent to that? Does it say name it and claim it? You prayed for it, now you get it. Uh, I don't think that's what it says. Does it say your request is on the way, like with the Amazon analogy we said a while ago? Does it say, you know, does it say, okay, because you prayed for it, it's yours? No. What it says in verse 7 is this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't promise us that we're going to get the, 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 the outcome that we think we want. It just promises that God's going to be present in the process, that God's going to be present in the challenge, and that we're going to have a peace about that. And so how do we access this peace of God? Well, the first, we, the first thing we do is we pray about it, as we talked about here. We take it to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to be protected and receive God's peace. Keep your finger here. We'll be coming back in just a second. And flip over, if you're, if you're, if you're keeping score, over to Second Peter. It's page 1900 in my Bible. Probably didn't help you out much in yours. But uh, anyway, 2 Peter 1 tells us this. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who received a faith of the same kind as ours. He's pointing this to believers. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Math is not one of the things I'm strong in. But here's what I understand about multiplication. It makes numbers bigger. Okay? <laughs> and that's what I understand. 
And it's saying grace and peace be most, let you get more of it the more you know about God. And so how do we, uh, how do we do that? Well, the one, the first, the most basic way of learning more about God is to study the word. In John 16, 33, Christ teaches, These words I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. But what he's saying is you got to go back and you got to study my words. you got to see how my words apply to your life and to your situation. And many of you, I know because we have talked, it's amazing as we study God's word, how it seems like he's giving us insight to a specific situation that we happen to be in right then. And so how do we study his word? First of all, have a personal, systematic, consistent Bible study where you're spending time in the Word. If, you know, if you're not sure where to get started, here's a great way to get started. Read one Proverbs a day. There's 30 of them. It'll take you through the whole month. Read five Psalms every day. It'll take you through a whole month. And then maybe you can find some type of Bible study that you can get involved in, all right, or a Bible study that you can get involved in personally to help give you direction. Corporate Bible study. I am thankful again that we go to a Bible teaching church where God's word is taught without apology and without compromise. And so that's, that is important. Being involved in organizations like, you know, if you want to take your Bible study to a whole new realm, you know, I'm thinking about organizations like Bible Study Fellowship or Precepts that will take your study to a whole other realm as they discipline you to stay in the Word throughout the week and they have a process of teaching, uh, of meeting together and teaching and reinforcing the Word. Many of us are involved in small group Bible studies. I myself have the good fortune of being involved in a Monday, morning, a Monday at noon Bible study with just men in downtown Shreveport. 12 to 15 of us, and we get together and we study God's word and and see how it applies to our lives today. Here's a novel idea. We're getting ready to get started with community groups. How about doing your questions for community group? All right. You know, what happens is the questions come from the sermon. The questions make us delve into the word. And then we get a chance to participate in discussing those questions after we've heard the pastor's sermon on Sunday. And so all of these are things that we can do to study the word. And that gives us knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. And what does that do? It multiplies grace and peace in our life. And so that is the other way we access God's, God's peace. But there's a third way. If we take a look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I would hope that when we come to a Sunday morning service, that we walk away from here and we've been, we're smarter about God's word. I would hope that's the case. But I would hope even more that when we walk away from here, we'll be challenged to apply that which we have taught. And I like this word practice. It says practice these things. The reason why we have to practice these things is because they don't come natural. What we see in verse 8 is not our default switch. 
And so we have to practice these things and get better at these things. And when that happens, the God of peace will be with us. Now, it is possible, and those of you who have been believers for a while will recognize this. We can be at peace with God, but not enjoy the peace of God. Again, we can be at peace with God, but not enjoy the peace of God. And so how do we lose God's peace as believers? One, it doesn't mean we lose our salvation. You know, we've already established that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if we don't do the things we're supposed to do, then what happens is it challenges our ability to be at peace with God. If we allow unconfessed sin to stay in our lives, then I I believe this. God is not going to let his children be comfortable in their wrongdoing. And so if we're not comfortable, if we're distressed, if we're put in an uncomfortable place, we're not at peace with God. And so we need to confess those sins and become cognizant and seek God's forgiveness We all know about David's transgressions. We don't need to go through that this morning. But I want to point out the one psalm that David wrote in Psalm 32. And I think that this will reaffirm what we just talked about. In Psalm 32, in verse 1, it says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute inequity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Does not sound like a guy that's at peace. It says his body wasted away through his groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin and peace was restored. But he first had to confess his sin and accept God's forgiveness. We know that Peter, one of the, on the executive leadership team of the disciples, okay, Christ predicted that he would deny Christ three times before the crucifixion. Peter's thinking, this is a loose translation of the Greek. He's saying, man, you're crazy. I'd never do that. Guess what happened? We all know that that, that God's prediction was true and accurate. And Peter, according to the Gospel of Matthew, when he realized what he had done, he went out and he wept bitterly. He He did not enjoy the peace of God during that moment. But you, know the, but you know the blessed news is this. Restoration is available. When we confess our sins, in 1 John 1, 9 it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, the other thing that will challenge our peace of God, our, our peace of God, our challenges accessing the peace of God, if we don't bring if we don't bring our matter, trouble matter, our, the things that are troubling us, the issues in our life to God. You know, in verse four, we'll go back to Philippians 4, 6. It says, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. 
and that constant prayer time. And if we don't do that, then the peace of God that we so desire is going to be challenged. God is the source of our peace, and we must turn to him first. All too often, though, we try to seek the peace that the world gives, and we find out how temporal it becomes. Now, the good news is, as believers, we might get thrown off track, but we don't stay there. I, one of my favorite commentators is James Montgomery Boyce. And in his commentary on, on the book of Philippians, he quotes another great theologian, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and who says this, Faith in this matter is like a needle of a compass that always points to the magnetic north. It is, it is possible to deflect it by a hard blow or by bringing it, an, another magnet close to it. These deflections, though, are temporary, and the needle will always return to its proper position. That is what faith is like. It can be jarred or deflected, but it will always return to God because God has made peace with us. And so we may get thrown off course, but God's not going to let us stay there. And eventually we're going to get back to where we're pointing the true north. Now, what are the benefits of God's peace? the benefits of enjoying this peace with God. The first thing is we have a sense of order in our lives. Order, not confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us this. For God is not a God of confusion. In the NIV it says, or disorder, but is a God of peace. He puts those things together. When we are at peace, when we are enjoying the peace of God, our lives are ordered we get clarity and clear thinking about what God wants us to do. The second thing that, that, that God's peace brings to us is courage. Peter and John, weeks after, you know, I always, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Peter and John, like all the other disciples, Peter denies Christ three times. John, like the other disciples, they all scatter at the crucifixion. Not exactly what I would consider a shining example of courage. But after Christ comes back, they all start to regroup and the restoration process begins. And it's just weeks later that Peter and John are boldly, boldly proclaiming the name of Christ, knowing that they're going to be beaten and put in jail. I will suggest to you that they were enjoying the peace of God during that time frame. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail. And not an ACO level jail either, okay? I mean, as we mentioned earlier, all right? And they had, and what did they do? How did they respond? They didn't start a prison riot. At midnight, they, or during the night, they started the praise and worship time. Earthquake came. They get loosened of their chains and their stocks. You would think they would look at that as an answer of prayer. They're supposed to escape, but they don't. And what they end up doing is leading a Roman jailer to the Lord who was about to take his own life. They could do that because of the fact that they were enjoying the peace of God. If we flip over to Daniel, and we take a look at Daniel 3, 16 through 18, there's three gentlemen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are in all kinds of trouble because they refused to bow to the golden image that the king had laid out that had to be worshipped. And and so not in big trouble meant they're about to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar says this, all right, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? 
The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You can only do that if you're enjoying the peace of God, which comes from being in the peace with God. The other thing that gets brought to mind is a benefit of, of, uh, of, of the peace of God is the strength that we can receive in challenging situations. I've been humbled in my life to be around a couple of people that went through very aggressive types of cancer that eventually ended up uh, where God chose to heal them on the other side of eternity and not on this side. And in both cases, these people gave testimony at church and they made the comment, they said, you know, given the choice of not having the cancer or not having the relationship that they experienced with their Lord because of the peace of God, that they would keep the cancer. You can only do that if you're enjoying unequivocal peace with God. My father, before he died, made a comment to his pastor just a few days before. He said, I'm not looking forward to leaving, but I'm looking plenty forward to arriving. As I go through his Bible, that I was able to receive all of the 60, all of the 60 verses in the New Testament that referred to peace. I believe all of them were circled and underlined. His doctor told me the day after he died, he said, I have never, ever seen a person face death with so much peace. Well, why was he able to do that? First of all, he had peace with God. And because of that, he was able to enjoy the peace of God. But, you know, I think one of the most prolific stories of this, and we're going to have a chance to sing this song in a second, is the story behind It Is Well With My Soul. There was a gentleman named Horatio Spofford. He was our Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and businessman from Chicago. And he had a family, wife, Anna, five children. In 1871, he dealt with a tragic experience that some of y'all have had to deal with, where he had to bury a child, where the cycle of life got broken, and a parent had to bury a child. Later on in 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed most of his business, uh, uh, business ventures. In 1873, Anna and her four daughters were on a French ocean liner going from the U.S. to Europe. Along the four days into the trip, there was a collision with a boat much bigger and much more secure than, they, than them. And of the 326 people, or 303 people on board, 226 of them died. Four of the ones who died were their daughters. Anna survived. And she prayed that God would spare them. And she was quoted uh, later on by someone on the boat who said that God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. One day I will understand why. She sent her husband a telegram, a telegram that they say they kept, that he kept on his desk until the date of his death. And the telegram simply said, saved alone, what should I do? Spafford began, Mr. Spafford began his journey to meet his wife. When crossing over the spot where his daughters had, had perished, 
the, the, the captain pointed that out to him. And it was then that Horatio Spofford penned these words to that great song, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, can you tell me that you can get that kind of peace from a self-help book or a guru? This is only the result of a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's only the result of a peace that only the Lord can give, not as the world can give. There's nothing that's unmatched by that. So, a couple of closing thoughts before we wrap up. Where are you and I today? Most important, do you and I have peace with God? Because until we get peace with God, we're not going to be able to experience the peace of God. And I'm going, to su- I'm going to suggest, not suggest, I'm going to say on the power of Scripture that there is no more decision and that's more important than the decision we make to have peace with God. Because when that happens, when that happens, it means that we've accepted by faith what Christ has done for us on Calvary and accept the fact that we are sinners and that is why Christ died for us and we accept that. And that is more important than any decision we make. Who we marry, what we do as a career, where we go to school, what organizations we're a part of. That is the most important decision. And I'm going to suggest strongly, I'm going to pray strongly, that if you're not a point in your life where you can say, you know what, I've never experienced this peace with God, then don't let another moment go by. When we get through, after, after our, our worship team leads us in worship, When we get through, our elders and our pastors will be here. Seek one of them out and get that issue straight. But what if if we, like most of us, I think, in here, if we have been justified, if we do have that peace with God, but maybe we're just in a spot where we're not enjoying the peace of God. So what do we do? We examine our life. We look for the unconfessed sin. We ask ourselves, are we bringing all of our requests to God? Are we, and we don't do that, just to step aside for a second. We don't do that for God's reasons. Not one time have I ever brought something to God and he said, oh man, I'm glad you told me about that. You know, I mean, I never would have known. That's not what happens. We do it for our reasons, to acknowledge our dependence upon him. And are we trusting God? to provide us with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the last passage I want to share with you and, and leave with you comes from 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. And this, this was Paul's prayer for the church at Thessalonica, and, this, and it's a great way for us to close. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the authenticity of your word. I thank you for the consistency of your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And that truth never changes. And Lord, one of the things that your scripture teaches us unequivocally is that you're a God of peace. But Lord, it teaches us, first of all, that we have to, that we have to, we have to be, uh, experience the peace with you before we can experience the peace of you. And so, Lord, my my prayer today is that there's one person in this room 
that doesn't know you on a personal basis, who, has, who can't say that they've ever experienced that peace with you, that, Lord, they would resolve that matter today. Lord, I imagine there's, there's, there's some in this room, all right, and we all get there from time to time where we're not experiencing the peace of God, even though we know you on a personal basis. Lord, convict us to look inside. Let the Holy Spirit guide us to any unconfessed sin, any area in our life that we have to deal with, with you. And Lord, as we do that, we will be able to experience that peace that passes all understanding. Thank you again for the incredible love you've shown for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.